For the last um, seven weeks, uh, those of you who've been with us, have you experienced the kind of amazing breakthrough that I have with going through this whole Ready series? Anybody else? Ready series. So Pastor's been preaching an amazing series on spiritual warfare. And, and just in dealing with spiritual warfare, he's shown us how God has already equipped us and essentially guaranteed us victory by arming us and equipping us with, with uh, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and then uh, having the shield of faith and the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he's also given us instruction that to round out all of that armor, we have prayer, the power of prayer and intercessory prayer. And even this week, we've been going through jumpstart prayer and just been covering the ministry, covering individuals, covering ourselves and just really making sure that we are addressing real needs in the, in the community in terms of prayer and real needs in our own lives in terms of prayer. And in the middle of that series, Pastor um, received what I believe is confirmation that that I should have a part at the end after the series is, is, has ended to come and bring a word. Right in the middle of the series, I was sitting over there, I was taking notes, and the Lord actually ministered to me, and he told me in the middle of the series God's gonna ask, that pastor's going to ask you to preach. And I just accepted it, and within a couple of hours of receiving that word, pastor called me and he asked me to preach. I don't know if Pastor Andrew does this to anybody else when he asked them to preach, but when he asked me to speak... He never gives me, he doesn't flesh it out for me. So he literally just gives me the topic and run with it kind of thing. He doesn't give me any points. He doesn't give me scriptures. He doesn't say this is the direction I'd like you to take. He just, this is what you're going to preach on, run with it. So he asked me to preach and he said, I want you to speak on victory. And I was like, hmm, that's all right. And he said, I guess he was feeling generous this time. He said, you know, we're going to be ending the series in spiritual warfare. And I believe that the Lord wants us to hear about victory. Um, the Lord wants for the people to hear about victory and what it looks like to walk in victory. And said, oh, said, okay. And I went before the Lord and I said, okay, God, victory. And the Lord said, Naaman. And I said, oh, maybe I need to explain God because sometimes I, I feel like I need to explain it to things to him and clarify. I said, no, what I mean is pastor said that, you know, we're coming out of spiritual warfare and he wants me to minister on victory and what it's like now to walk in victory. And God said, Naaman. And I said, okay, you're going to have to help me with this, God. And he brought back a memory to me, something I haven't thought about in, in years. Back when I was probably about... 18, 19, um, I actually came up in Malvern through my, through my teenage years. Malvern. Malvern! And he brought a memory to me. Uh, one night, when I was probably 1995, 96, I decided that around 11 o'clock, I wanted to go outside and just hang out. Because when you're a young person, many times you think you're indestructible and nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Have the rest of your life. You know, why would anything bad happen? So as a female... At 18 years old, I'm walking the streets of Malvern, decide I'm going to stop at a little park, sit down, and have a swing. So I'm in my introverted bliss, swinging, and, and just thinking about life, and I see these two guys approaching me. Nothing, nothing alerted me. I wasn't worried about it. I thought they were going to walk by. They came by, they stopped, and one of them started talking to me. So he's talking to me, he's chatting me up and everything, trying to get my name. I wouldn't give him my name. So he drops his name. 
And when he told me his name, it sounded so familiar to me because it sounded similar to the name of a friend that I have. So I thought they might have known each other. So I was like, oh, I was like, so do you know so-and-so? And I dropped the name of the friend, his nickname. And when I dropped his nickname, the guy pulled his head back and he repeated the, the friend's name. And I said, yeah, him. He's like, is he a part of, he's like, is that so-and-so? And the so-and-so was actually the name of a show. So let me, let me explain something to you. Back in the day in Malvern, we used to have a couple of gangs running through the city. And many of the gangs went by names of old cartoons and old TV shows. And so when I said my friend's name, his nickname, it sounded like a member from one of the gangs. So when he asked me, is that from so-and-so? And I said, yeah. I was thinking, yeah, that's where his name comes from, that show. He was thinking, oh, that's a part of a rival gang. So once I said, yeah... He hit his friend and he's like, let's go. And he walked off. I was good because I was in peace by myself anyways. So they left. And I was there for a little while by myself. And I decided I was going to take my, my little introverted bliss self on a, on a walk now through the city. Because it's bad enough that I'm in a park by myself swinging. Why not just walk through Malvern by myself? So I'm walking down Sewell's towards Nielsen. And in the distance, I see now a group of guys coming towards me. And they're far enough that I, I can just barely make out um, the number, but I recognize the outfit as one of the guys that was in the park with me. So right, a, right away, spidey senses start tingling, and I'm like, mm, something, something's not too good here. So I'm looking around because I'm standing, I'm walking on a sidewalk, broad open street, and I'm like, I need to do something. And all of a sudden, from the corner of my eye, I just saw this huge spotlight. And right at the corner of, of uh, Nielsen and Sewell's, there's a church. I saw the light shining towards the church. I'm like, yes, I'm going into the church. God is going to give me refuge in his house. And then I stopped and thought about it. It is 1130 at night in Malvern in 1995. No church in its right mind is going to have its doors open. And I noticed that the, the light was shining towards the church and it was casting a huge shadow on this tree. And I heard the Lord say, get in the tree. And I was like, the tree, it's a huge pine tree. I'm like, the tree? I'm looking at the guys approaching me and all of this is happening in my head like rapidly but almost in slow motion at the same time because the guys are still walking and I'm debating with the Lord whether or not I'm jumping into this tree. And he's like, get in the tree. And I'm like, God, I mean, mm, I could take them. I could definitely take the first two in the front because they're time. No, for real, I could take them because I was raised by a brother who taught me to fight. So I'm, I'm pretty scrappy. I'm like, I could, mm, mm, I could take them, God. I could take the first two, but I don't know about the rest. And I looked at the tree, and I looked at the guys coming, and I looked at the tree, and I looked at the guys coming, and I looked at the tree that was standing in the shadows, and I remembered that the Lord said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I said, I guess I'm going in the tree. And I jumped into the tree. I didn't walk. I didn't try to find a nice place. I ski jump into the tree. So I'm standing in the tree and I can see the guys through the tree and I'm standing there really uncomfortable because the pine needles are pricking places they shouldn't be pricking and also my pride is hurting a little bit because I'm like, nah, God, I mean, I really could have taken at least the first two. And he said, stay here. So I stood in the tree as uncomfortable as ever for several different reasons and I watched my enemies pass by. And I remembered the word of the Lord. When my enemies and my foes came against me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. 
I never saw those guys again, ever. And I lived in Malvern for several years after that, visited the same park, walked the same streets, and never saw those guys again. I just believed that the Lord took care of them. But I learned a very valuable lesson in that experience. I learned that you don't get to decide how God chooses to deliver you. It might be uncomfortable. It might be a little humiliating. It might sting your pride a little bit, but you do not get to determine how God delivers you. And so when he brought that back to my memory, I was like, Naaman, got it. Because oftentimes God uses natural things in our lives to teach us greater spiritual truths. Because he wants us to experience not only the spiritual victories that pastor has been teaching about, but he wants us to walk in everyday victory in our lives. So with this reminder, let's go into 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. I'm reading from the New New King James Version, but you can follow in whatever version you have. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought brought away a captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And he said, she said unto her mistress, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus, said the the maid that is in the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter unto the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, I am God, am I God to kill and make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God had heard that the king of Israel rent his clothes, that he said that he sent to the king saying, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a message to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near to him. They came near to Naaman and said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee do something great, would thou not, would thou spake unto not have done it? How much rather than when he says to thee, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. The first thing that struck me about this is the seeming contradiction introduced by that tiny word, but. 
Because from a strictly linguistic standpoint, when but is interjected in a sentence like this, it negates everything that came before it. So all of these accolades that Naaman had acquired throughout the years, the fact that he was captain of the host of the king of Syria, who cares? He's a leper. The fact that his king respected him, who cares? He's a leper. The fact that he's called a mighty man of valor, which was reserved for at least only another five people in the Bible, five of whom were Jewish, and he's the only Gentile ever referred to as a mighty man of valor. But who cares? He's a leper. This showed me something. It is possible to have public victories and private shortcomings. And I don't, think we've, we, I don't think we've seen that more than over the last few months, even the last week in media. These people that have accomplished these great and amazing things, people we look up to, people we respected, people whose tapes and, D's and CDs we were bumping in our vehicles, being brought low. Why? Because they had public victories, but they had some private shortcomings. The Me Too movement exposing private shortcomings. And it would seem that 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 tiny word but causes those private shortcomings to overshadow the public victories. And so I asked the Lord, Lord, what would you have me now to say to these people? Because it would seem that the crux of the complexity and the contradiction of our humanity is what's showing us that we have a desperate need for a savior. And so he said to me, tell them if they hope to walk in victory, they need to talk. And I said, "Mm, talk. I can't go up there, God, and tell the people that they need to talk. Because the last seven weeks, pastor has been up here mashing up the place with spiritual warfare and being ready for it. And if I go up there and tell the people that God said in order to walk in victory, they need to talk. Pastor's going to have to bring out the rescue preach. And then the next thing you know. Y'all know what the rescue preach is, right? Every pastor that calls in a guest speaker has a reserve sermon tucked in his back pocket that just in case things go sideways, that pastor, he or she comes through and they give the rescue preach to try to recover the congregation and the, and the service. So I said, Pastor Andrew, I didn't want you to bring out the rescue preach. I know you have a couple in your pocket, but I didn't want you to use them quite, quite yet. So I said, God, what do you mean talk? I can't tell the people that they just need to talk. It sounds like name it and claim it. He said, not talk, chitter, chitter, chat, chat, talk. T-A-L-K. It's an acronym. An acronym. What is T? Transparency. Tell the people in order to walk in victory, they need to be transparent. They need to be open and honest about their struggle. That means they can't keep secrets. Who do we need to be transparent with? Ourselves. Because God desires truth in the inward parts first. We need to be transparent with God because ever since Genesis, we have mastered the art of covering ourselves and going before God and acting like we're naked, but we're covering ourselves anyways. And he's telling us we need to uncover before him. And we need to learn to be transparent with others. The Bible is very clear in James 5.16. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for each other that ye may be healed. I know that it's uncomfortable for some of us to think about being transparent with somebody else. But to be honest, everybody should have at least one person in your life 
that you can go before just the way you are and say, listen, this is what my problem is. Pray with me, support me, encourage me. Verses three to four tells us that Naaman's wife, Naaman's servant and the king all knew about his leprosy. Now, here's the thing about leprosy. It, it, it's something that you, you can't hide. After a certain point in its escalation, you can't hide it. And this particular leprosy that the Bible is talking about in the Old Testament is not the same leprosy that we see today. The same le- the leprosy we see today, it's also known as Hansen's disease. That is something that it, um, it affects your nerve endings. It eats you literally from the inside out. But in the Old Testament, when it refers to leprosy, Sarah... It refers to this idea of an, a, a general condition that covers many different skin ailments. So it could be eczema, it could be psoriasis, it could be several different conditions or molds or mildews of the skins or even raiments and garments. And it's just lumped under the condition of leprosy. But we'll come back, we'll come back to that later on. So here's this idea of this man who is going through something that other people can see, but here is where he was transparent. He goes to the king after he hears what the maid says, and he confesses essentially to the king that, look, I, this problem bothers me. Sometimes we're in front of people, they can see we have an issue, but they don't know how much our issue is actually bothering us. That's what we need to be transparent about. And so in verses three and four, it tells us that he tells the king that um, that he heard from the from a, someone who heard from the handmaid that there is a prophet in Samaria that can heal him of his disease. We need to make sure that we're around the right people who can we can be transparent with and who can help us to get to our next step in victory. Amen. And our next step is number two: a acknowledge your need for help. We aren't meant to do life alone. I find it funny that the Bible tells us that Naaman was respected by the king and Naaman goes to the same person who he gains respect from and asks him for help. It's, it's this idea that there are personal victories that still require group participation. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says that two are better than one for they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift his fellow up. But woe unto him that is alone when he falls because he has no one else to lift him up. We need to realize that as pastors, they both say it all the time. Let's not do life alone. We are meant to do life with others and with community. Unfortunately, this culture has cultivated such a separatist mentality. It's steeped in competition. We don't want people to know what we're going through because we don't want them to feel like they're better than us. We don't want them to know that we're struggling, but the truth of the matter is that Proverbs 24, 12 teaches that when pride comes, that's when shame and disgrace comes. But when you're humble, you have wisdom. And so if we're going to sustain victories in our lives, we need to be able to reach out to others whenever it's necessary. Verse 4 to 5 tells us that Naaman shared the information with the king and invoked the insistence, the assistance of the king. And it was the king that helped him to access what he needed to go before the man of God. L. L is for listen to godly counsel. I want you to, to picture this with me. The Bible explains what it was that Naaman carried with him. He carried with him servants. He carried with him 10 raiments of garments. He carried with him shekels of gold and silver. And, and it says that, uh, that when he got to Elisha, 
Elisha didn't even come out to him. Elisha sent another messenger and said, go tell him to go hold a fresh in the Jordan. And Naaman was wroth, the Bible says. He walked away angry. Can you imagine this? Look at what the Bible tells us in the first op- in the opening of the chapter. Look at these great accolades of this man. This man took the time to collect what is the equivalent of $1.2 million in gold and silver, packed it in his chariot, brought with him 10 changes of raiment. And when we say 10 changes of raiment, we're not talking like he brought with him a couple of Converse tracksuits and some Nike boot and things like that. He brought with him what is the equivalent of high fashion, some Balenciaga, some Prada, some Dior, some Gucci, some Louis Vuitton. That's what he brought with it. This man came through dripping. And he's at the house of the prophet. And the prophet didn't even come to the door. No, Wouldn't you be upset? I'm with Naaman on this. I'm like, yo, I came in squad deep to come and see you. And you don't even come to the door. You send one next man to come and talk to me. And now you tell me I need to go and bathe in a dirty river? We have better rivers than that, a muddy Jordan? We've got better water than that where I'm coming from. I could have just stayed home. I thought you were at least going to come out, you know, wave your hand over me and touch the places and recover me of my leprosy. But here's where the godly counsel kicks in. Because his servants were able to approach him and say, my master, if the prophet had told you to do something really hard, wouldn't you have done it? How much more he's telling you to just go and simply dip in a river? This tells me two things. Number one, the fact that his servants felt comfortable enough to approach him speaks to something about Naaman's character. Somewhere under all of that braggadociousness, there is some humility that just needs to be uncovered every now and then. And secondly, it tells me that God really wanted this to happen for him, but that he was now in a place where he was troubling himself. And so we need to to be wise now when I say that we listen to godly counsel because not all counsel is godly. That's just a reality, right? Like you could be at work and you're talking to Susie and you're telling Susie that you're really worried about, you know, the fact that you're going to lose your job. And Susie's like, oh my God, that's horrible. That's just, you know, just don't worry about it. Just come out with me and the girls tonight. Let's just have a few drinks, tie one on, get slosh, you know, just, you know, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Let's just do what we need to do tonight. Just let, let loose, sister, and we'll be okay. That's, that's, not, that's not godly counsel because God says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. That's, that's godly counsel. Or maybe you're with your, your friend and you're telling your friend that you, as a man, have some concerns about your health and that you know, you're, you're troubled about it and you've been seeing the doctors and you're, your friend's like, bro, what are you even doing, bro? Like that traditional medicine, bro, that'll kill you faster than anything else, man. You need to go like the natural route. Like I got some stuff at home, man. You know, it's legalized and everything. It has medicinal properties to it, man. Just um, let me hook you up, man. We'll just flow. We'll just fly. We'll just sail. Like whatever, dude. Like let's just light up the chalice, make we burn down low. And that it, it sounds like it makes sense. 
But that's not godly counsel because Corinthians 6 tells us that our bodies are the temple of God and that we ought to glorify him in our body and our spirit, which are his. So when we say that we are listening to godly counsel, it has to sound like something that the Lord would say to us that we can back up in his word. Because the problem with Naaman at the time is that he came looking for help, but he wasn't prepared for the way that that help would come. He wanted to determine, like I did, how his victory came. But we don't get to choose how or who God delivers us through. So God used uh, Naaman's servants to correct his thinking, and he received not only their counsel, but victory. Because Proverbs 24, 6 says, By wise counsel thou shalt wage thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Find people who are wise in counsel and listen to them if you hope to walk this life out in victory. And finally, the last letter, K. Kill pride before it kills you. Verses 14 and 15, which I didn't read, tells us that he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And verse 15a says, and he returned to the man of God and he and all his company and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. This to me was really key. The fact that he listened to the counsel of his servants and actually went back and did what he was instructed to do. Because the truth of the matter is somewhere between him walking off in a rage and him listening to his servants, he almost lost what he came for. How many times does that happen to us in our own lives? How many times do we self-sabotage ourselves when we're so close to the very thing that we wanted? But self-sabotage is a secret agent of pride. It operates by pride. Pride is what drives self-sabotage. And self-sabotage looks like you've been, you've been on a, a weight loss journey and you have 10 more pounds to go before you hit your goal. And you decide at that point, mm, I need a little cheesecake still. So you head over to the Cheesecake Factory, and then after you head over to the Cheesecake Factory, and like, I could deal with some wings right now. So you have some wings, and you're like, mm, maybe I'll skip the gym in the morning. I'm feeling a little tired. And a few weeks later, your weight's gone back up, and now you don't even care. Self-sabotage looks like you've been praying for a breakthrough in your marriage. And you've been waiting on God to do something and your spouse is starting to get closer to you again, open up to you again. And you now start to back off and think this is too good to be true. So I'm not going to let this joker mess me up. I'm going to mess him up first. I'm going to mess with her mind first. And you self-sabotage, but self-sabotage is a secret agent. It is running covert ops on behalf of pride. And pride is driven by fear. So pride is just the middleman. We need to kill the middleman. Somebody say, kill the middleman. Choke him. Wring his neck until there's nothing left of him. So that you can make sure that you access the victory that God intends for you to walk in. So in all of this, God has pointed out that Naaman used talk to ultimately receive healing in his body 
and a greater victory in in later on that I didn't actually read um, is in verses 15 to 19. So even though he went there looking for healing in his body, what I don't read in verses 15 to 19 is that he goes on to acknowledge that not only is God the God of Israel, but he wants God to now be God in his life. So he asked the prophet for something very interesting. He said, let me take two, two sacks of earth from Israel with me. And let me bring it with me back where I'm going so that I may now serve this God. And he said, I, I have to go with my master sometimes to the house of Rimnon. Rimnon is, is, was, was an idol of the time that his king served, that the people served and he himself used to serve. And he says, I'm just asking you, you know, excuse me, prophet, when I have to go into the house of Rimnon, I have to bow because the king is on my arm and he bows. Just excuse me in this. I'm not bowing in my heart. It's just something I have to do because I serve the king. And the prophet tells him to go in peace. That to me is the greatest victory that he actually experienced. A conversion of the soul. Because that is what God ultimately wants for all of us. The idea that this, this particular biblical account is about somebody learning to not only walk in public victories, but have private victories in their own life is one thing. But there's actually a much greater story that is taking place because Naaman is really actually representative of us. It represents Naaman represents humanity before they have an opportunity to meet with Christ. We need someone to rid us of our leprosy. Remember I mentioned earlier that leprosy in this case was actually a general condition that described many different ailments. That would mean now that leprosy in this general sense, is really sin. It's the condition of sin in our lives. Many different ailments, sexual immorality, stealing, lying, cheating, all different ailments, but they all fall under the same condition, which is sin. And the Lord sends the prophet to tell the man to go down to the Jordan and to dip seven times, seven being the number of completion, and it is signifying that we also need to be cleansed of the infirmity and the sickness of sin in our soul. And so I understood now why it was that later on, down through the ages, 20 and two generations after Elisha, here comes Jesus, the Christ in Matthew chapter three. And he's standing on the bank of that same muddy Jordan, the Jordan that Naaman despised. And he goes down to the river to be baptized by John. And he goes into the river and the Bible says that as he comes up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord descends as a dove on him. And the voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In his baptism, he is signifying his future death, burial, and resurrection. And guess what? The Bible goes on to tell me in Colossians 2 and 12 that I am also baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. And because I'm baptized into his death, I'm also raised with him into new life. And you know what? In Colossians 2, 15, it tells me that those same principalities and powers, pastor, that you were preaching about in Ephesians 6, the one that we needed to make 
make sure that we were ready to stand against. It tells me that God disarmed all principalities and powers and authorities in Christ Jesus and he put them to an open shame on the cross. Now I understand why it is that Paul starts declaring in Corinthians 2 and 14, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph, always causes me to triumph. All I do is win. All I do is win. Say that to yourself. All I do is win. All I do is win. No matter what, all I do is win. Because it is Christ that causes me to triumph. And maybe you're here and you've been visiting and you might not, you might not know the Lord. You might not have a relationship with him. This is an opportunity for you to investigate someone, someone just like you and I who needed desperate help to move from just public victories to living a lifestyle of victory. But it's going to require that you talk, that you be transparent and open and honest about what your struggles are. It's going to require that you acknowledge that you need help. You're never meant to do life alone. And there's a community of believers here that want to come alongside you and walk with you. It's going to require that you listen to godly counsel because the words of life come from God. And if you're going to have counsel, it better be coming from the Lord. And you need to kill pride before it kills you. God bless you.